Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. children of the night, and welcome. Tonight we're capping off our coverage of the 2019 Bram Stoker Awards. As I mentioned last week, the Horror Writers Association has decided to roll with the punches and will continue with this year's awards ceremony digitally. You can tune in yourself on their YouTube channel on April 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern. In fact, if you wander over to their channel now, they've posted a number of interviews with various authors nominated in some of the many categories, including a few nominees who we've heard tales from ourselves in the last couple of weeks. It's a great way to get to know the authors a bit better, and, if you're like me, to satisfy your curiosity if the picture of them you've painted in your mind looks anything like the real-life person. I've put a link to the Horror Writers Association YouTube channel in the show notes. Our first story this evening comes from one of this year's recipients of the Bram Stoker Award for Lifetime Achievement, Owl Going Back. And while the tale itself isn't technically Stoker-nominated, it's a delicious little legend that takes us back to the days of Spanish exploration and expansion in the New World. A cautionary tale that explores the fine line between piety and greed. Owl Going Back has been writing professionally for over 30 years. 
He is the author of numerous novels, children's books, screenplays, and short stories. He is a Bram Stoker and Horror Writers Association Lifetime Achievement Award winner, a Nebula Award nominee, and a Storytelling World Awards honor recipient. His books include Crota, Darker Than Night, Evil Whispers, Breed, Coyote Rage, Tribal Screams, Shaman Moon, Eagle Feathers, and The Gift. In addition to writing under his own name, Owl has also ghostwritten for Hollywood celebrities. Children of the Night, join me for Owl Going Back's Takachale, originally published in Grails, Quests, Visitations, and Other Occurrences, from Unnameable Press, 1992. Cursed bugs, Fernando de Carmona muttered, slapping at the mosquito buzzing his head. Though they had left the humid swamps far to the south, now traveling through relatively dry pine forests, there was no escaping the swarms of insects that dogged their trail, driving the men and horses to near madness, and making each day as miserable as the last. Barely twenty years earlier, Juan Ponce de Leon had christened the new land La Tierra de la Pascua, Florida, the land of the flowery feast. He should have named it the land of the hungry bugs. At the thought of Ponce de Leon, Fernando smiled and touched his left breast. Hidden beneath his armor and sweat-soaked uniform lay the leather-clad diary of the late explorer. Ah, my dear Juan, Fernando said aloud, remembering the former governor of Puerto Rico and the man he had served under as a captain in 1521. Had the old fool listened to his advice and concentrated his search further inland instead of sticking to the coastline, he might have discovered the fountain of eternal youth. But he had not listened, and instead of life immortal, Ponce de Leon's only reward was death by a native arrow. And now, nearly ten years later, it was Fernando who led the quest for the fabled waters of eternal life. But where Ponce de Leon had failed, Fernando was determined to succeed. He would find the fountain of youth, slipping the bonds of age that cloaked his body as easily as a fine woman sheds a dress and he alone would enjoy the blessings of King Charles I and the fame and fortunes that comes from such a discovery. Fernando turned and looked behind him. Three hundred soldiers, one hundred on horseback, two hundred on foot, accompanied him. They waited silently for his orders, their faces grim, their posture erect. The Tamukua village of Okali had been found deserted. Such actions could only be expected, 
bare flesh and wooden arrows were no match against armored men on horseback and swords of the finest Toledo steel. Perhaps the Timucua had heard of the expedition of Panfio de Narvaez two years earlier. Narvaez, who cut the nose off of the Tocobago chief Hirahigua, then fed the chief's mother to the dogs, had cut a swath through the interior, like a sword through a pregnant woman's belly. The natives still trembled when they heard Narvaez's name. Fernando believed they would soon tremble at his name, too, for he also believed it was better to conquer and enslave than to negotiate. Ordering the men to begin setting up camp, Fernando returned his attention to Ocale, a moderate-sized village. It consisted of thirty or so thatched wooden cabins encircling a public square, much like the courtyards of Seville. On the east side of the square, an earthen mound rose fifteen feet above the ground. Upon this sat a large cabin, probably belonging to the village chief. On the opposite end of the square sat a similar mound with an equally large building. The carving of an owl on the front of the building identified it as a charnel house. Fernando had seen the inside of a native charnel house only once, but once was enough. In it, the corpses were laid out in simple wooden boxes resting on the ground, covered only with loose timbers held down by stones. Wild animals had broken into several of the boxes, scattering the rotting remains of corpses about the premises. The stench had been stifling. Adelantado! Adelantado! Fernando turned to see three of his soldiers coming across the square, herding an Indian man and woman before them. The soldiers shoved their captives roughly to the ground. My, my, what do we have here? Fernando asked, stroking his pointed beard. We found them hiding in the storage house, answered one of the soldiers. Is that so? He leaned forward in his saddle to get a better look. The man was naked, except for a covering about his loins. He looked to be in his mid-forties, maybe a little older. Like most savages, he was in excellent physical condition. Bracelets of copper encircled his wrists. Black hair hung to his shoulders. The woman was a miserable old bag of bones, with not enough meat on her to feed the dogs. Her skin was like wrinkled leather, her hair stringy and gray. She wore a white dress of animal skins, unlike the skimpy garments favored by so many of the Tamukua women. Stand up, Fernando ordered. He was surprised when the woman stood at once. He raised his eyebrows. How is it that you speak Spanish? You are not the first white man to visit our village, she answered, her voice like dry leaves rustling in the wind. Others have been here before you. Others, Fernando wondered. He thought his expedition the first to reach this far north. And what did these others want? The same as all white men, gold and slaves. There is no gold here. Fernando laughed. 
<laughs> I'm not interested in gold or slaves, old woman. It is a treasure far greater that I seek. I search for the sacred waters that heal all afflictions. The fountain of youth. A look of fear flashed across her face. She recovered quickly, but Fernando had shocked her. She knows something. What is your name, woman? I am called Takachale. Takachale. It meant to light a new fire, kindling a flame to remove or prevent some impurity. Fernando had heard the ritual was an important part of their heathen religion. Maybe it wasn't a name, but a title. A priestess? And who is he? Fernando asked, nodding toward the man. His name is Yostega. He is the chief. Fernando smiled. He found it amusing that the half-naked man standing before him could hold a position of power and leadership. He made a great show of bowing to the chief. Several of his officers laughed. I am indeed honored to meet you, your majesty. How grand it must be to be a chief of an empty village. But tell me, where are your people, your warriors? Takachale answered for him. They heard of your coming and ran away. He turned and looked at the distant tree line. An Indian warrior was a skilled fighter, a treacherous foe who would remain in hiding, watching, waiting for opportunity to attack. Fernando was not worried, however. His men were well trained. Turning, he nodded to the three soldiers guarding the prisoners. Kill them and then burn their village. The soldiers drew their swords and stepped forward. Takachale shrank back in fear. The chief jumped between her and the soldiers. Fernando raised his right hand. Wait. The soldiers halted. The Indians looked at him. Fernando straightened up. He chose his words carefully, looking into the old woman's eyes. He spoke. I will spare your lives if you take me to the fountain of eternal youth. Again, a look of fear crossed Takachale's face. By God, she knows where it is. I'm certain of it. Takachale turned and spoke rapidly to the chief. Yostega shook his head and answered back, his voice sharp with anger. Suddenly, he pulled a stone knife from the waistband of his loincloth and lunged at the soldier closest to him, driving the knife deep into the soldier's throat. Takachale turned and raced toward the forest. The soldier fell to the ground, a shower of blood spraying from the wound. Before Yustega could extract the knife or make good his escape, the other two soldiers stepped forward and ran their swords through him. Several crossbows fired. Fernando looked quickly away from the dying chief and saw Takachale running toward the forest. Arrows flew all around her. Don't shoot, you idiots! I want her alive! Takachale fled toward the forest, seeking safety among the trees. A soldier stepped out from behind a building, blocking her path. 
his arms spread wide to catch her. But Tecachale dodged around him with all the grace of a deer in flight. Stop her! Don't let her escape! yelled Fernando, the flush of anger burning his face. He spurred his horse forward, determined to stop her himself if need be. You'll not escape me, witch! He was almost upon her, but already she'd reached the tree line. Ducking low to avoid being knocked from his mount by a low-hanging branch, he drove his horse into the forest. He could see Takachale just ahead of him. The old woman moved with speed surprising for her age, weaving between the trees and bushes like a frightened rabbit. From behind came the shouts of Fernando's men and sounds of pursuit, but those sounds quickly faded as the forest closed about him. Fernando knew he was exposing himself to immense danger by chasing after the woman alone. The forest was alive with bloodthirsty Indians. Still, he had determined not to lose his quarry. He'd come too far, had faced too many hardships to give up so easily. He was certain Takachale held knowledge about the Fountain of Youth. Perhaps she knew the location of the fabled water. He would find out. The touch of a heated blade could make even the most stubborn talk. A fleeting glimpse of white up ahead let him know that he was still hot on Takachale's trail. But the distance between them had widened. Instead of giving him the advantage of greater speed, his horse was slowing him down, forcing him to look for wider gaps in the foliage to squeeze through. Soon he would lose sight of her, and all would be lost. Deciding what must be done, he quickly dismounted, tied his horse to a tree, and continued on foot. It didn't take Fernando long to realize that, even on foot, he was hard-pressed to keep up. The forest seemed to be opposing him, deliberately trying to hamper his efforts. Roots and vines snatched at his feet, tripping him. Branches raked painfully across his face. In a matter of minutes, he was drenched in sweat and panting from the exertion. Still, he plodded on. It was nearly sunset when Fernando emerged from the forest onto a wide field of tall grasses and weeds. The field was empty. No sign of the woman called Takachale, nor had there been so much as a glimpse of her in the past hour or so. I've lost her. With a sigh of despair, he slumped wearily to the ground. He had lost the woman. He'd also probably lost his only chance of finding the fountain of youth. Removing his helmet, he wiped a hand across his sweaty forehead and looked around. Worse yet, there was a very good chance that he, himself, was now lost. In his haste to capture the woman, he'd failed to pay attention to his surroundings. In such a vast and untamed wilderness, he might never find his way back. Leaning back on his hands, he watched the sky change into various shades of reds and golds. The sunset was lovely, but it did little to dispel the despair in his heart. Why, God, why? 
to bring me so close to finding what I seek, and then to fail. Why? Perhaps he expected a reply, some mighty voice to come booming forth from the heavens with a solution to his dilemma. No such voice was heard. His question remained unanswered. With weariness heavy upon his shoulders, Fernando de Carmona stood up, placed his helmet back upon his head, and turned to start his trek back through the forest. Suddenly, from behind him, came the flapping of a multitude of wings. He turned quickly, expecting to see a large flock of birds, but the field remained as empty as when he first laid eyes upon it. But Fernando wasn't imagining it. He heard wings, thousands of wings, and he heard the cries of birds, too. Herons, gulls, ducks, and countless other waterfowl. What in the name of God? Maybe the birds were hidden in the field. Perhaps they were beneath the weeds and could not be seen. But Fernando did not believe that. The cries were too many, the beating of wings too numerous, for him not to see at least one bird. No, there was something else at work here, something strange. The sun continued to set, bringing forth the beginning of night. As the temperature cooled, a mist gathered over the field, quickly spreading like fog rolling in with the ocean tide. The wind picked up from the west, carrying with it the faint yet distinct smell of water. As Fernando witnessed the day change into night, watching the spreading of the mist, something truly incredible happened. He suddenly found that he was no longer standing at the edge of a field. Instead, he stood at the shore of a vast lake, a lake covered with thousands of waterfowl. Madre de Dios, he said, crossing himself and turning to flee for his life. He stopped, remembering that one of the Calusa Indians they had tortured had said something about a lake, a lake that could only be seen at sunset, and then only by the pure of heart. In the middle of the lake, there was supposed to be an island. What was on the island, the Calusa knew not for none had ever gone there. But a magical lake could only guard something of an even greater magic. The Fountain of Youth. Fernando turned back around and studied the lake. Though the lake's surface was shrouded in mist, he could make out a dark smudge in the distance near its center. An island. The story is true. Turning to his right, he began to jog along the coastline, searching for a way around or across the lake. He'd only gone twenty paces when he found what he was looking for. The canoe was made from a log, its sides blackened with fire and polished smooth, its middle hollowed out. It was much smaller than those used by the savages living along the east coast nor was it a double-hulled vessel as the Calusa sometimes constructed for ocean use. Lying in the bottom was a wooden, leaf-shaped paddle. Next to the canoe, 
Fernando spotted drag marks in the mud, indicating that there had once been a second canoe. There were footprints beside the drag marks, the small, bare footprints of a woman. Takachale, he whispered, his voice barely a hiss. Fernando raised his head, looked across the lake to the distant island. So the woman has sought to use trickery to escape me. But God, in his infinite wisdom, knows that my heart is pure and has allowed me to see the lake. And before this night is through, I am certain he will show me the fountain of youth. Freeing the canoe from the mud, he pushed off from the shore, jumped in, and began paddling. The mist closed around him as he glided out into the water, making visibility difficult. He would have to paddle slowly and carefully, taking care not to miss the island. As he crossed the lake, Fernando was surrounded by the cries of countless waterfowl. Despite the ruckus, the birds seemed not to be disturbed by his intrusion into their domain. In fact, they barely bothered to move out of his way, remaining close enough that he could reach out and touch them, which he did. Reaching his right hand out, Fernando attempted to stroke the breast of a gray heron that brushed the side of his canoe. But instead of feathers, his fingers grasped only air as his hand passed completely through the bird. With a cry of terror, he snatched his hand back as though burned. His sudden motion rocked the canoe, nearly capsizing the tiny vessel. What manner of madness is this? Birds that can be seen but not touched? But if the birds are not real, then... Fernando slowly leaned forward and reached down to touch the water, but his hand remained dry. No cool water splashed against his fingertips. Like the birds, the water could be seen, but not felt. It was as though the tiny canoe rode upon clouds. Clutching the sides of the canoe tightly, Fernando took deep breaths to calm his racing heart and regain composure. The thought of falling into the water terrified him. After all, what would happen to him if he fell into a lake of dreams? His muscles tight with fear, Fernando continued his journey. He paddled for what seemed a great length of time, certain that he had missed the island and was only traveling in circles. He was about to give up when suddenly his canoe ran aground. Fernando quickly leapt from the canoe, happy to have solid ground again underfoot. He nearly cried out when he spotted the other canoe no more than twenty feet away, and knew that he had landed on the island. God has guided me safely across the waters. Fernando checked the other canoe. It was empty. Footprints led to a path that cut through the forest. With no other trail to choose from, he began. After about thirty paces, he saw the distinct glow of a fire flickering through the trees ahead of him. He drew his sword and advanced. 
Reaching the edge of a small clearing, he discovered that the glow was not that of a campfire. On the contrary, it was caused by thirty or forty brightly burning torches. The torches were stuck in the ground, placed in a circle around a small pool of water. The dark surface of the pool reflected the torchlight like the twinkling of stars. Fernando would have stepped into the clearing had it been deserted, but it was not. The old woman he had chased for so many miles stood with her back to him, her head back and her hands raised to the night sky. She spoke, but he could not understand her words. Undoubtedly, she was offering up prayers to some heathen god of hers. He crouched lower as she turned to her right, her profile coming into view. As he watched, Takachale knelt before the pool and drank of the dark water. The transformation happened so quickly it took his breath away. No sooner had the wrinkled old woman drunk of the water than she began to change. Raven color exploded from her scalp, driving the gray from her tangled locks. Her hair, once dull and limp, became luxurious with youth. Her gnarled hands straightened, the veins sinking back beneath the surface, the wrinkling skin pulling tight. Flesh that hung limp from her arms pulled closer to the bone and tightened with the presence of new, youthful muscles. Her body straightened and grew taller. Her legs became long and lean. The saggy flesh on her chin and neck pulled taut, like leather drying under a summer sun. The wrinkles marring her face disappeared so fast, Fernando could scarce believe they had been there at all. Her eyes, once pale and lifeless, darkened and burned with the intensity of a woman who could set men's souls on fire. Excitement leapt into Fernando's heart. At long last he'd found the fabled fountain of youth. He cried out in happiness. Takachale heard the sound and spun round. Seeing him, her face went livid with rage. Fernando cared not what the woman thought of him. Stepping from his place of concealment, he boldly marched into the clearing. Takachale moved to block him, but he cuffed her hard across the side of the head, knocking her aside. As God is my witness, he shouted, I lay discovery to the eternal fountain of youth and claim it in the name of King Charles I and the country of Spain. He stopped at the edge of the pool, staring into it, its dark surface reflecting the glow of torches. He was overcome with the feeling that he was looking up and not down, gazing into the depths of a starry night, looking deep into the heavens. The sensation made him dizzy. Fernando glanced to his left. Takachale stood and glared at him but made no further attempt to stop him. With a quick prayer of thanks, he sheathed his sword, kneeled, and dipped a cupped hand into the water. The water was as sweet as the finest wine he'd ever tasted, and as cold as a winter morning. Fernando drank deeply, 
experiencing a sensation of strength and power surge through him. Only after he had drunk his fill did he stand back up. Wiping a hand across his mouth, he turned and regarded Takachale. The woman watched him with obvious contempt, her dark eyes mirroring the anger in her soul. As Fernando looked at Takachale, he became aware that he no longer hated her. On the contrary, he suddenly found her quite attractive, even desirable, in a savage sort of way. He studied the way her firm breasts stretched tight the thin fabric of her dress, and how the torchlight glistened off her muscular legs and black hair. Though her mouth was tight, her lips were full, and would be soft to the touch, as would other parts of her anatomy. Fernando smiled as a warm, glowing sensation started in his loins. It had been many a year since he felt such unharnessed virility. The woman had given him quite a chase. Would she be so energetic in bed? The glow within him intensified, spread into his stomach, shot through his veins. His feet, hands, and face began to tingle. He took a step toward the Indian woman, intending to claim his prize. The glow became hotter bordering on the uncomfortable. Pain flashed along the nerves in his legs and back. He stopped suddenly, biting down on his lower lip to keep from crying out. It felt as though a heated sword had been thrust deep into his stomach. Fiery pain shot through his limbs. What's wrong? What's happening? His fingers trembled. Fernando held his hands before his face. The veins in the back of his hands were moving and quivering, twitching about like a nest of snakes beneath his skin. He felt the veins in his arms and legs doing the same thing. Lowering his hands, he looked at the woman. Dakachale's face was no longer etched with hatred. Her features had softened. Turning her head to one side, she spit a mouthful of water upon the ground. She looked back at Fernando and smiled. She didn't drink from the pool. No, it can't be. You saw her. Yes, but she didn't swallow. She tricked you. The water is poisoned. Fernando drew his sword. You witch! You have poisoned me! Takachale shook her head. I have poisoned no one. You have found what you seek. This is the water you call the fountain of youth. You lie! He took another step toward her. She backed up and shook her head. I too drank from the pool. Was I not old when first you saw me? Now I am young. Fernando stopped. But how? Why? The burning sensation inside him was unbearable. It was all he could do to hold back a scream. He detected an odor about him, like that of burning hair, and was certain that the hairs inside his nose had begun to smolder. Like everything that you see, this pool was placed here by the Creator. 
but its use is not for everyone. It is only for those who are pure of spirit and heart. You call yourselves Christians and claim to be of pure heart, but your spirits are filled with greed. She circled around to the opposite side of the pool, bending over to pick up something lying in the shadow. Torchlight twinkled off of metal, and she carried it back around. It was a helmet, a Spanish helmet. You are not the first white man to discover this secret place. Others have come before you. Their greed led them to drink from the fountain of eternal life. Eternal life? Fernando shouted. I'm burning up inside. I'm dying. Help me. Takachale shook her head sadly. My people cannot understand why the white man is afraid of dying. Is your fear so great that you would turn your back on the reward the Great Spirit offers you in the next life? The reward you call heaven? Choosing instead to live forever? The backs of Fernando's hands were beginning to burn. Tiny spirals of white smoke drifted up from his skin. Larger spirals escaped from around the edges of his armor. His tongue was swollen, and it felt as though his eyes were about to ignite in flame. Nakachale set the helmet down and walked over to a small pile of dried branches. She picked one up and returned to stand before Fernando. Your greed has denied you the chance to ever die and enter heaven. Had you taken but one sip from the pool, as I did, you would have become young again and stayed that way for many years. But you drank deeply. Fernando's armor began to sizzle and pop. His beard and hair smoldered. Takachale stepped closer. While all men grow old and die, only the earth and sky last forever. And now, you too will be part of that sky. Like those who came before you, your soul will be an eternal flame for all to see. It will be a guiding light, a star in the night sky. No! he screamed. The flame that burned within him exploded into brilliance, bursting through to the surface. His clothes and hair ignited. Fernando's flesh burned, turned black, and floated away from his bones as tiny flakes of ash. The metal of his armor liquefied and ran to the ground. Takachale stepped forward, touching the end of the branch to the flame that consumed Fernando, lighting the torch. She stepped quickly back as what was left of the Spaniard collapsed to the ground. The fire was hot, leaving nothing behind as it burned, not even bones. Holding the torch before her, she circled the pool to the far side, placing it in line with the others. The light of the torch reflected in the dark water. As it did, a new star appeared in the sky above. A tiny white star, far away but beautiful to look at all the same. A star that was once Fernando de Carmona. Takachale 
whose name meant to light a new fire, looked up at the star and smiled. That was Owl Going Back's Takachale, as read by yours truly. If you'd like to know more about me, well, you can check out the About page on TalesToTerrify.com, or just drop me an email, TalesToTerrify at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Our second story this evening comes from S. Yi Lu. S. Yi Lu writes, translates, and edits between two coasts of the Pacific. Their fiction and poetry have appeared in Asimov's F&SF, and Strange Horizons, and their translations have appeared in Clark's World. They edit the flash fiction and poetry magazine, Arsenica. You can find more about S at their website, s.choyi.lu. Link is in the show notes. Children of the Night, listen with me to S. Choyi Lu's Vector, first published in Gamut. April 2017 The crows spoke with the voices of dead children. They swooped through the air, black smudges against a tapestry of blue, cawing words torn from fevered throats. One landed on a branch outside May's bedroom. 
don't want medicine, it croaked. May opened the window and shooed the bird away. In the dim light of morning, she caught sight of a patroller on the street, a man with a rifle slung over his shoulder, a flak jacket protecting his chest. His back was to her. As soon as the crow flew into the man's view, he loosed a bullet that hit its mark. Bang! The sound startled May. She should be used to the sound of gunshots, the ever-presence of violence, but at such close proximity, the noise was still surprising. The crow tumbled to the ground. The patroller donned gloves and bagged the corpse into a biohazard container. May shuddered and closed the window, closed the blinds. The image of the bullet tearing through flesh, feathers and sinew scattering in its trail like confetti. She squeezed her eyes shut. No, better to get on with the day's work than dwell on what she just saw. May went down the hall to her daughter's room. Habit had her knocking on the door, cracking it open when she heard no response. The golden, dusty light illuminated the neat bookshelves, the stuffed animals sitting up straight on the perfectly made bedspread. Off to one side, a cage glinted. Talons clicked against metal. Feathers whispered through the quiet. Morning, Sasha. May took the crow out of the cage and stroked those shining, oil-slick feathers, marveled at the tender heartbeat beneath her fingertips. The crow looked up at May, eyes shiny as polished onyx. It opened its beak and said, Wanna play? I know, baby girl, May said, setting the crow on the desk as she cleaned its cage. But it's not safe for you out there. She placed the crow back into its cage, shutting the wire door behind her. She fluffed up the pillows, smoothed out the lace-lined covers. Next item on her list, grocery shopping. She'd have to stop by the specialty pet store to buy food for Sasha. The regular grocery store had stopped stocking bird supplies when the super flu broke out. May noticed the hearse across the street as soon as she stepped outside. The coroners carried a tiny, child-sized body bag out of the Cabral's house. Her stomach sank as they loaded the body bag into the back of the hearse, the sight of it so small against all that space. It must have been Tony, the Cabral's youngest who hadn't been old enough to develop the immunity that his parents and older siblings had. She knew the heartache, the anger, the self-blame that must have been running through Belinda Cabral's mind as she stood on the doorstep, her eyes red-rimmed. May resolved to make something to take over to the Cabral's, dumplings perhaps, the fillings warm and hearty to take the edge off of the pain. Before she could get into her car, a loud crack echoed through the air. Not a gunshot, something else. The patroller and May both glanced up. May's gaze rested on Sasha's window. The curtains were rustling. Then, black wings beat against the glass. May could hear the scrabbling of talons even from the driveway. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw the patroller crossing the street, footsteps sure and swift as he made his way toward her, a pair of binoculars swung around his neck. May unlocked the front door and darted inside, took the stairs two at a time to get to Sasha's room, 
careful not to let the crow get out. She squeezed through the door and shut it behind her, locking it and barricading it with the desk. Shh, shh, it's okay, May said, approaching the struggling crow. May swore that she'd locked the cage behind her, but it was a simple latch, and perhaps the crow had figured out how to undo it. Sasha had always been clever. It's okay. Wanna play, the crow said. Wanna play. We can play, May said. Just calm down, all right? Footsteps coming up the stairs. A heavy fist pounded against the door. Open up! Anger and fear bubbled up in May. She screamed, Go away! In response, the door splintered open and the desk skidded across the wooden floor as the man burst in shoulder first. He trained his rifle on the crow. I have orders to shoot on sight, the man said. Ma'am, if you'd move aside. Please, May begged. This is the last I have of my daughter. The man's gaze softened, but only for a moment. He shrugged the rifle higher and shut one eye, centering the crosshairs over the crow. Please move aside, ma'am. Mommy, I'm scared, the crow said, voice creaking. I know, baby girl, I know, May said, her gaze tender and tear-stained as she looked back to the crow fighting against the window. It's gonna be okay. Hands trembling, May unlatched the window. Before the man could protest, she threw the panes wide open, letting the crow go free. The man cursed, shot, bang, bang, one bullet after another. But they whizzed past the bird, catching only a feather. Damn it, the man yelled. Selfish bitch! You want more kids to get sick? The man swung his rifle around to May, his breaths heavy and angry. A cool calmness settled over May as she stared down the barrel. A few tense moments passed between them. Finally, the man lowered the rifle and pulled out his cell phone and dialed a number. I'm calling in for a person harboring a disease vector on Sycamore Street, the man said. Beside May, the perfect bed, stuffed animals unmoved. Before her, the empty cage, wires still gleaming. Somewhere out there, Sasha lived on, captured on a crow's tongue. May refused to weep. That was S. Choi Lu's Vector, as read by Emily Strand. Emily Strand is a writer, musician, and college professor living in Ohio who really enjoys robots. You can find her online at emilystrand.com or Twitter at EKCStrand. Thank you, Emily. Well... Children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link 
near the bottom of our homepage at TalesToTerrify.com. And if you've got a minute to spare, hop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a rating or a review. Reviews and ratings are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. It helps us expose more victims, I mean listeners, to our dark influence. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we reach deep into darkness for more Tales to Terrify. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.